With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend and Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, how are you doing today, my man? Really good, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited. I uh, I picked the Atlanta Hawks to win this series in seven. Someone told me that I got shouted out on an Atlanta sports radio station yesterday for that pick, going against the grain, <laughs> and, and, and Trey Young really rewarded me last night with a ridiculous performance. So I'm, I'm on cloud nine today, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Trey Young, have known he was good for a while, um, you know, impressed me the jump that he made a year ago you know you put more talent around him now um i have so many takes on this guy i guess we'll get into it over the course of the pod but 48 against the bucks is Absurd. wild Silly. wild and it's so crazy because the reputation that he has i guess this is probably what i would say about him i actually found myself wondering should he even take the time he's taking to take as many threes as he's taking in the series if they're just going to give him that much space to operate from the top of the three-point line into the paint. Like, he took, what, 13 threes yesterday, and that those were basically the only shots he missed. It's crazy. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's he's breaking my brain. Um, and like you, I mean, I, I was very high on Trey since, I don't even know, since he basically entered the league. Um, and... Yeah, he leaves me speechless, to be honest with you. Uh, but we are going to get into that later. And you wrote a wonderful, uh, I'll just mention it at the top, you wrote a wonderful piece um, at SI.com, our daily cover today, about young stars kind of uh, sliding naturally into the spotlight, which was really wonderful, and everyone should go check it out. We're going to talk about that later. Um, we have a lot of other stuff to get to on today's show as well, including... Uh, some more just super important conference finals talk. We're going to discuss, um, you know, speaking of Trey Young, the, the win 
a Trey Young statue is constructed, whether or not uh, it should be of him launching a floater or, you know, standing <laughs> mid-shimmy behind the three-point line. I think we could have, like, an hour-long argument about that. Um, but, you know, we'll also look at the lottery, which happened this week and was very interesting. And Team USA, I have a question for you about that. Um, we also have emails, of course. And... Um, on that note, thank you so much for, for everyone for sending them in. Such awesome questions to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Please keep them coming. They're, they're terrific. Um, okay, so Chris, to kick off today's show, I'm going to let you choose the first subject that we pick. Do you want to talk Team USA or do you want to talk lottery first? Let's talk lotto first because I kind of feel like Team USA... It matters, but it's like, it, you know, it, it's something that I'll be more into as we get closer to the Olympics. It doesn't quite matter to me. Yeah, the lottery matters a lot. Seemingly. Yeah, so let's talk I'm about with that. you. Um, so I know, you, you know, Mich- University of Michigan graduate over here, the Detroit Pistons get the number one pick um, in the in the draft, which is their first since 1970, I believe. And I, my personal reaction to that was just like, that's awesome because... The Pistons, I, I feel like when the Pistons are relevant, the NBA is in a, in a better place. And generally speaking, when more teams are relevant, the NBA is in a better place. I don't really care about what market they're in. And it doesn't really matter to me. Someone who just like watches League Pass and is flipping around constantly for six months out of the year. If I see a team like the Detroit Pistons have been for you know the past five, six, seven, eight years, whatever... It's just it's kind of a bummer to me. Um, so now that they're probably going to get Kate Cunningham, that's wonderful. Um, I guess I'll just point it to you, like really bluntly, just who was the big winner here? Who was the big loser here? Let's let's start with winner. Actually, who was the best, biggest winner for you um, watching the lottery and getting the results? Well, I think Detroit is probably obvious. So I you know I won't go with that answer. Um, I thought this was really big for Toronto, um, mm. a team that you know is not that far removed from playoff contention. I think if they had wanted to, could have gotten into the play-in. You know, if they had made that a focal point, they took their foot off the pedal toward the end of the mm-hmm. season. They've got big questions to figure out now anyway. And just given who's in the strap, which I, you know, I'm pretty blunt and honest about the fact that I don't, outside of my Wolverines, don't pay a whole, whole lot of attention to college basketball. I feel like there's barely enough time to just, you know, shout out to like Kevin O'Connor and the other people that, can do that and, and and pay attention. Sam Vecini, you know, the guys that pay as much attention to college and pro as they do, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, Me either. So I, I, you know, so I watch a lot of pro and, you know, I just kind of trust the, the experts to keep me posted on who's really good coming out of college. It seems like there are a lot of really good guards um, and even point guards in this draft, obviously Cade Cunningham. So the idea that Toronto may lose Kyle Lowry, you know, Obviously, I've been bleed as well, but the idea that you might be able to replace him with someone maybe makes you more okay with the idea of losing Lowry, and you know you're going to take a step back just in terms of you know guys don't come in the league ready to play on day one most of the time. Maybe some of these guys will, but you probably feel a little bit better about the idea of having to kind of rebuild on the fly if you've got someone that projects to be like a really solid, good all-star level guard maybe in the next couple of years, it's much different than the idea of looking at a situation and saying, okay, well now we don't really have someone that can get our offense going outside of Van Vliet. We've got Siakam, which he can be up and down. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have a star to build around. Van Vliet 
however good he turns out to be, Siakam, however good he turns out to be. But there's a really good feeling at some point that those guys might hit a ceiling sometime soon if they haven't already. Um, and so to go out and get another guy that, that maybe gives you another breath of fresh air is really good, um, especially as you've still got Ananobi and you've got other guys, Boucher, that you're looking to develop. So I really, well, I guess I don't really care being happy for someone, but you know, happy for them from that standpoint because I kind of feel like it gives them an opportunity to do something more um, and not have to have the question about whether or not they can you know, move forward with what they've got because I think yeah. clearly they can with what they have in this draft now too. Yeah, I mean, when I look at Toronto, I I do feel kind of happy for them just because they had the season from hell. Like, it, it was they a did. totally unfair situation for them. And they had to live in Florida, in Tampa, nonetheless. Shout out to everyone in Tampa. Sorry if that was a dig, but, you know, I, it is what it is. Tom Brady is shaking his fist at you. <laughs> Very fair. Um, but, you know, they were away from their families. There was a lot of mental health concerns all season long, a lot of bubbling frustration, Uh Pascal Siakam was fined multiple times by the team. Obviously, just just a nightmare of a season for everyone involved. They obviously didn't make the playoffs. That's why they were in the lottery. So I, I do feel happy for the Toronto Raptors. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm just kind of like, you give a team that has like the best player development group in the league yep. by a wide margin, the fourth overall pick, and it's kind of scary to see what they're going to do there. Um, so shout out to them. That was a really good call by you. For me, uh, the biggest winner, besides the Pistons, of course, is the Houston Rockets. And I say that mostly because this could have just been an absolute catastrophe for them. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was like a 48% chance that they would not get their pick. Um, because of the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade, the pick would have gone to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they keep the pick. Not only do they keep the pick, they get the second overall pick. And that's just wonderful for them. I mean, you could have had a situation where you lose James Harden, you become the worst team in the NBA, and then you have nothing to show for it heading into, nothing to be excited about either heading into next season. So I'm I'm happy that the Rockets are going to have a building block, whether it be Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley or whoever it is, or maybe they trade the pick and try to get an all-star. Who knows? Um, it's going to be really interesting to see, but they were, they were my big winner. Um, do you want to give me your loser? Or do you want me to give you um, who I think was the biggest loser first? Why don't we? Uh, why don't we um, kind of flip it this time? Why don't you give me your biggest loser? Uh, now I feel like we're talking biggest about weight loser. loss. But go ahead. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like the other side of the coin. There, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder are the biggest loser for me. Okay. They they tanked pretty hard and pretty transparently. They benched everyone on their team who was good in the second half of the season, holding out Shea, holding out Al Horford. Um, they dropped nine of their last ten. They had a 45.1% chance to land a top four pick with their own pick. They dropped two slots to the sixth pick. And they also have the, you know, the 16th pick with the Kemba trade, which is great. It's, like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but... You know, if you're Sam Presti and who went down to the G League bubble and was was presumably scouting um, the G League Ignite team, Jalen Green, those guys, if he fell in love with Jalen Green, this is just like a really tricky, difficult um, position to be in and a bummer. Um, I see, you know, I, I, as you said at the top, I do not 
follow these prospects. I do not know who is great, who is going to be a franchise player, but it seems to be that there are five very good players in this draft. So to get the sixth pick after you tank really hard, it's just a big bummer for them. And then also the Rockets keep their pick. They don't get the Rockets pick. So tough, tough beat for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, I um, I, I think that was kind of the one of the the relatively obvious choices the one i went with and and again so i might be totally wrong on this just because i don't feel like i know the draft as well but mm-hmm. when i think about teams that kind of just essentially did what oklahoma city did and said we're we're out of this there's no point anymore orlando did that and orlando it would have been really great to have ended up i think in certainly one of those top 2 3 positions Maybe even fourth with the way guys talk about this draft. It does sound like that cutoff is somewhere around four or five. If you see it as being four, then I think this was kind of a rough outcome for Orlando just because more than just about anybody, you know, aside from, well, even Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has a guy that they can at least somewhat build around in Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston does not really have that guy yet. Um you know, obviously Detroit is is still looking for that guy, and so they'll get one. Um, Orlando very much is in need of that sort of player. They got rid of, you know, if you would say the guy, the couple of people that could be that. You know, obviously they have um, Jonathan Isaac. So there's there's different people that they've got, but very clear opportunity for them to land. You know, I'm sure they were hoping for the top pick, but a handful of picks and all these picks they traded for. I hope I would have hoped that they would have landed a little bit higher than that. Um, is it catastrophic? No, but like, you know, it's much easier to start your rebuild and kind of charge your rebuild when you're picking from one, two, three, it's a little bit harder to do that from five, even if it's a really, really great draft, which everybody is saying that it is. Yeah. And I mean, the good news for Orlando is that the, they get the bulls pick like the, the bulls, yep kept their pick that would have been pretty bad for Orlando yep. so they get two top 10 picks and that's that's wonderful but um I'm with you like it would have been much better if they had someone to, to truly build around and maybe they get that guy with the fifth overall pick we don't know like I don't I've never seen any of these players play basketball so, so <laughs> I'm not even gonna front um okay let's let's talk team USA real quick Chris uh the 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 12-man roster I believe is finalized for the um 2021 Olympics. Do we call it the 2021 Olympics or is it still the 2020 Olympics? Oh, I didn't even think about that. I'm just calling it the Olympics. We'll figure okay. out the year we'll just later. Do it. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, the, 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 the squad getting sent to Japan um, to play basketball for their country. Um, 12 guys have been selected. A lot of notable names that you would love to see play are not there. A lot of interesting names who maybe, at least for me, I was kind of stunned a little bit by some of the the players who who made this team yep. um <laughs> so we'll, we'll get why don't we just start right there who like when you look at the roster who just like most who who most caught you off guard i mean I, i'll be a little surprised if we've got a different name here for each one of us <laughs> kevin love made the team i was like i asked the same question you just asked 2020 or maybe 2021 <laughs> however you want like are we sure we're not talking about four years ago like I'm all for the idea of leadership. I'm all for the idea of, but like normally people that aren't even in contention to make an all-star team anymore aren't on the Olympic team. Now, granted, you know, if you're talking about someone that's getting a legacy spot, uh, mm-hmm. Carmelo, you know, I, I would have been surprised spot. if they, yeah. 
I would I would have been surprised if they'd given Carmelo a spot this year, but I actually would have understood that more than Kevin Love if we're keeping it a buck. Like he's been healthier than Kevin Love. Uh, quite frankly, like you know, and and look, I get it. Like the season's hard. This last year and a half has been hard. Um, Kevin Love has been extremely transparent about his own mental health stuff, so I'm not trying to go in on him from that standpoint. But like he hasn't necessarily always had the greatest attitude toward his situation in Cleveland. So I'm just kind of looking at that. And it's not to say that like whether someone deserves to go because it's not my team. I guess it is America's team. So maybe you could argue that it is. But um, I don't particularly. It's our our team, Chris. It's our team. This is our country. (laughs) Um, Like I don't really care that much. Like I don't think that it makes the difference between them winning or not. But I was just kind of like really like it's I don't understand the rationale for him being on the team. I'd have to look back to see how many teams he's been on before, but like it, it just struck me as such an out of the blue sort of call. And like, it's interesting because it almost, almost like one of those things where if you're, you know, with Kickstarter or something like that, when you get in on the Mm -hmm. ground floor, that if you're one of the first ones that you get a discount, like maybe he was the first person that said he really wanted to play and maybe people had cold feet about it and that's how he got in. But I, I, other than that, I'm just like, how did, how did that happen? I, I don't really understand it. Now I've, probably sound like i'm going in but i i was just confused and i don't know if you felt the same way about that i was shocked i thought it was i thought someone had bad sourcing is what i thought um didn't make a lot of sense to me i don't i'm looking at it just like i mean look it's like he's the 12th man i guess like that's pretty clear so he's probably not gonna play and maybe they just like having him around as a veteran who has been around the block he has won a gold medal before um yeah like i I don't see like the logic for like on court aesthetic at all like he's a stretch four at this point i don't think he can really guard too many people um yeah it's just a very questionable one right there i mean there was a there's a couple other names where i'm just kind of like okay like jeremy grant was a little little weird for me um Zach Levine, a little strange, just because with Zach Levine, who's a wonderful player, I really enjoyed watching him this season. There's just a lot of scoring on this team. Like the team has KD, the team has Dame, the team has uh, Jason Tatum. Like they got scoring, so it's just like, why don't we get? I don't know, like Marcus Smart or just a, a, a another wing defender. I think about like when Andre Iguodala was on Team USA, stuff like that. Like right. you're, you're trying to build a team. It's like not necessarily just taking. The guy with the best stats. Um, we're like nitpicking. They're they're going to win um, the gold medal unless a uh, catastrophe happens. Um, although I was looking at this roster and I was kind of like, you know, if Jokic played, like who would guard Jokic on this team? Like Jokic would just destroy. Oh, don't worry, USA. Kevin Love can do it. <laughs> there you go. Okay, problem I, solved. I just I just don't understand that. I mean, like I said, now I probably do sound like I'm going in. I just don't. Like I said, if if like you said, with Iguodala and a couple other guys, there's leadership. There's guys that you pick for fit. And I, I, I get like, I mean, you could play Durant at stretch five if you really needed yes, you to. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't, you know, if you're doing it because you need a stretch big, like, I just don't know that Kevin Love is that person necessarily that you need. If it's for leadership, like I just said, like with Cleveland, um, you could make the argument that there were times where he really wasn't showing it. I've, I've talked to him personally, and he's great, a great cheerleader of his teammates, or can be at times. 
you know, at a time where Colin Sexton was getting dragged for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know he kind of came to his defense a lot publicly and would talk to him and give him pep talk. So, like, I know that he's capable of that, too, and being a leader. But, I, I mean, if we're going up and down the line of guys that really strike you that way, like, there are other people that you could get that probably younger. And, and my thought, and maybe this is just the anti, you know, the, like the Christian Leitner hater in me, um, like, I think it's great to get up-and-coming guys. Um, I think, you know, you pick a good up-and-coming guy to be on the team. Even if you're picking a guy that's coming out of college right now, you know, if you take Cunningham or somebody like that, maybe, you know, a big, maybe you take Mobley or something like that. Like, I, I would almost understand that more than this. I, I just was at a little bit of a loss there. Um, I don't feel like I'm owed or anyone's owed a rationale, but I, I really don't know what the rationale is here. Where is Zion? I mean, I, maybe that was, I missed that That was news? the other guy I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, he... So you... we Well, now I'm blowing this up, but we've talked about it long enough. You gave me the question of, like, who is the one guy that surprised you? And on the flip side, like, who's the guy you would have liked to have seen? Zion was the guy I had on my list. I would have liked to have seen him in this spot. Um, you can get away with probably not playing as much defense if you've got this much offense on the team. And right, if you're going right. to prioritize having a lot of offense to where your defense becomes less important, guess who fits that role perfectly? It's Zion, you know, so I, a younger guy, a guy that um, hasn't gotten to play meaningful playoff basketball yet, um, who would probably cherish this, be around guys that are playing hard, can show him to play hard and stuff like that. I would have really liked that pick. Uh, You know, maybe Kevin Love needs an escape given kind of where he's been the last few years. And uh, I'm sure it's very cool for him. Uh, Maybe he can help. But, yeah, it was just – that one stood out like a sore thumb to me, stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Yeah, my player who I wish was on the team, I really don't need to explain it, it's LeBron. I just love watching LeBron play basketball. <laughs> it's like – it's really not complicated. You know, it is what it is. Just like having him around, having his, like, personality, his bubbly personality in Japan would be fun. So I'm going to miss LeBron. Um, that's basically it. But before we move on from Team USA, Chris, I was – digging through statistics about Team USA because I was really bored this morning. And I have a, qu- I have, I have a quick little uh, trivia question slash fun fact that I want to throw at you. Um, okay. What do you think Kevin Durant's career three-point percentage is in the Olympics? He's taken, well, before you answer, he's taken 108 threes. He's one of 14 players in Olympics across uh, all countries to have at least 100 attempts. So since you're asking me, I'm going to just assume it's high. Um, I'm going to also take into account that dude was shooting like there were stretches during the season where he would go like 20 games and shoot 50% or better from three over that 20 game stretch. And the Olympics is fewer games than that. And, you know, easier for him than probably the NBA is. I'm going to guess 52.8%. Wow. And I Very feel like close. that's probably that's probably low. That's probably too low. You are a genius. Yes, that is very close Jesus. and also a little too low. Um the answer is 54.6% in his that's career. That's insane. Just a layup for What is he like 60 60 54.8 for his Olympic career? <laughs> he's ridiculous. Um that's... he's yeah, he's 53 55 85 for his career. Um, oh, he's not getting the 90. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Katie's insane, and that's another dude who, I, I mean, whatever. I wish he was still in the playoffs because he was 
man, watching him play basketball was just put me on a different planet. Um, okay, so Chris, we have that's enough Team USA talk. We'll, we'll probably revisit that when the Olympics are actually happening. Um, we have some fun emails to get to real quick, uh, including a few that were uh, in response to the Ben Simmons conversation from um, the episode that Rohan and I did on Monday. We'll start with this one from from AJ. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, AJ writes, uh, the most woke trade in the NBA would be trading <laughs> Joel Embiid. Are we really sure that Embiid is the one to keep for the Sixers? The dude who cares so much he can't get into shape. The guy who is always hurt. Trading Embiid is the true galaxy brain move. His value is super high. You always sell high. Simmons is more versatile and can play an up-and-down style. Simmons' longevity in the league may be longer. Embiid is one leg injury away from Greg Oden. Did we forget that Embiid couldn't get one game from that Celtics team in the playoffs last year? The clear best move is trading Embiid. You can get a true all-star, maybe even all-NBA player back if Maury ignored optics. So what trades are available for Embiid? Um, thank you for that email. It was very aggressive. I appreciate uh, all Galaxy Brain thinking and thought um, on this podcast, though. So I'll just pose the question to you, Chris. Um, I guess just what, <laughs> what do you make of this concept? Um, is it uh, no disrespect to our emailer who took the time to write in? Is it just completely outlandish or do you see kind of the sensibility there? I mean, so when I read it at first in our outline, I laughed. Um, <laughs> but but and, and so I say that seriously. But then I read it again. And I mean, I think that the, the part of the concept that's wrong, in my opinion if you're looking to trade and beat, it's not because you're looking to build around Simmons. It's just not. I mean, you don't mm. look to build anything around someone that, you know, that has taken five shots in his last 85 playoff games or whatever it is in fourth quarters. No, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you, you, you don't build a team around that. And so you could make the argument that that's the sin is that they, you know, they committed a max deal to that. So now mm -hmm. if you're saying that you wish you had a redo and that you, you that you overpaid that or that you're not sure what his trade value is, you don't build around someone like that or you don't seek to build the whole thing around it. It's that you're tearing it down and you're trying to figure out if you could rebuild the team better by whatever you'd get back for Embiid. And maybe Simmons is a part of that, but he's not spearheading that just because he's the max player that you've got. You're, you're hopefully getting a couple pieces back that put you in better contention than what you right. have with Embiid. So maybe you do it. I mean, I think it would be kind of unheard of to do it. Um, you would have to be really sold on what you'd be getting back. Um, I, I don't think Maury would be the guy to do that. Um, certainly not right now. And again, I mean, Simmons is just, no, it, the, 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 the construction of the question's wrong on that basis that, Simmons has nothing to do with why you would trade Embiid. Like, I mean, he's just not. And and if that is your thinking and you say that out loud, that Simmons is the more formidable person to build around because of health and everything else, like, you'd get fired. <laughs> you, you can't admit that out loud. <laughs> um, I mean, like, you can't admit that out loud and then go out in public in Philly. Uh, like, you just can't. Like, Agree. They were throwing things at the team. So, you know, after they were losing 
game seven. So what do you think they'll do to you if you walk out in the middle of the city? Like, and, and you've made it known that you're trying to build a team around Ben Simmons after this postseason. Good luck with that. So, yeah, I mean, you could have whatever conversation you want about Embiid, but you're not, you're not trading him because you see Simmons as the more uh, desirable person to build around. I mean, I mean, even if you think that Embiid, this is the peak of his value, fine, trade him, but you're not trading him because you believe that Simmons is easier to build around. He's, he's probably not, but even if he was, that's not, he's not better. He's not the better player. Right. I mean, I think that the Sixers should see themselves as a title contender because they have Joel Embiid. Like, he is the reason right. they are title I mean, he would have won MVP, I think, this season if he was healthy. Um, to the emailer's point, he has struggled to stay healthy. I understand sure. that. But he, when he, even playing on a partially torn meniscus, I mean, he was totally unstoppable in that series um, before wearing down late. Um, yeah, I mean, this would be like, trading Shaq in 99 if you're the Lakers like it just it doesn't make any sense at all um so I then tried to find um fake trades that made sense and I literally like I couldn't find a single one because if you're trading Embiid the only thing you can do from that point is get worse like you can't you, you you're almost definitely setting yourself up for a rebuild at that point and the Sixers just they're obviously not going to try to rebuild right now in any sense, whether it be around Simmons or then trading Simmons and trying to get other stuff too. Like it's just not, that's just not what you're going to do. So I appreciate this email um, a lot. It was a fun thought exercise. If I, if I, uh, if I was 10 years younger, like running my old blog, I would have had like 10,000 words probably in a post about why they should trade Embiid <laughs> by now. But uh, I'm, I'm older and I'm wiser. So I kind of see why it's a little silly. Um, all right, I just want to read these next two emails to you, Chris, and we don't really need to, to get too deep on them. They're just the, the scraps of the, the Simmons pile that we had here. So the first one is from Scott in, in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Um, Scott writes, uh, what about Ben Simmons for Russell Westbrook? The Sixers get a Hall of Fame point guard who won't fade away in the fourth quarter. The Wizards get a point guard who will complement rather than compete with Bradley Beal. Um, our next email real quick is from Luis, uh, who writes, Hi, I'm going to be really quick. Thank you, Luis. Um, what's your opinion about Simmons going to Toronto and Kyle Lowry going to Philadelphia via sign-and-trade? I feel like both teams are winning, although Toronto may have to include something else. I really enjoy your show from Spain. Uh, so thank you, Scott. Thank you, Luis. Um, yeah, I just generally was just saddened by both of these emails. Um, I, I yeah. don't... I, you know, like the Simmons for Westbrook swap is whatever. It's very similar to John Wall for Westbrook, honestly. I and I don't, I don't think, I don't think getting Kyle Lowry makes you better if you're losing Simmons. I think they should have traded for Kyle Lowry during the regular season instead of George Hill, but that's a different conversation. Um, I don't know if you have any like quick, you know, fifteen second thoughts on this, Chris. Uh. Embiid and Westbrook sounds like a disaster. Uh, I mean, you, you literally would have, at that point, I think probably, I don't know what his numbers were this season, but historically, Embiid has always been the big that turns the ball over most in post-ups, and Westbrook has always been right at the top of the league in turnovers. So, no, I, I hate that hate that one. Um, Simmons, Lowry, uh, I don't... I don't think I like that one either very much, partly just because if you're Toronto, like 
you know, you've got you've already got a, a guy that handles the ball quite a bit in Toronto that's not a great shooter. It's not horrible, but you know, you've got enough issues with that. And I just I don't like the idea of pairing a, a couple of ball handlers together that struggle to shoot at any given point or that struggle in the playoffs at any given point, which we've seen Siakam struggle with that too. So to still not have like a lead number one guy um, and a trade for a guy that kind of complicates your spacing even more, maybe it works because Van Vliet can run point guard for you, but Simmons isn't necessarily a great post player to use as we've seen with the situation in Philly. So I don't really know that he's a great fit there um, for what they need. They, they need a guy hopefully through this draft that can kind of be more of a number one guy, you know, when Siakam isn't doing the job. Chris, that was longer than 15 seconds. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm long-winded. <laughs> always. I've always been long-winded. i got to work on it. Sorry. No, no. I appreciate you. Um, okay, so our next email comes in from Andre. Um, I really enjoyed this email, Chris. Um, so Andre writes, I've been a long-time listener of the pod. Thanks so much for giving me some great entertainment during these trying times. I'm a Brazilian that follows the NBA closely. I've been reading and listening about a general sense of disappointment with the playoffs and decided to share a different perspective from Brazil. In an earlier episode, Michael and Chris brilliantly pointed at on-court reasons as to why these playoffs are not really a disappointment. As I listened to those points and agreed with them, I started thinking about the reason why I'm enjoying these playoffs maybe more than ever. Fans being back in arenas. That's it. In that first playoff weekend, I remember being somewhat mesmerized hearing the collective roar of the crowd, a sound that I had become accustomed to not hearing. I missed it a lot. Here in Brazil, and in many other countries, we're not even close to turning the corner you guys in the U.S. seem to have turned already. So a packed arena for someone who is contemplating life returning to quote-unquote normal every day must be a very good sight. For me, it's more. It's this sign of hope attached to it. I wonder if other people around the world feel the same way, and if this is enough to compensate for all the injuries to superstars this postseason. Best regards and congrats on the show. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for that email, Andre, and for providing your perspective. Um, first of all, um, I think I speak for Chris when I say we both hope you and all your friends and family are as safe as possible. Uh, we in the United States aren't over the pandemic entirely, but the vaccine has mostly done its job and the majority of older citizens and those who are at risk have at least gotten their first shot, which is wonderful. Um, but I definitely agree with everything that you said here, just even how sobering it is to reflect back on a few months ago when games were played in empty arenas and comparing them to the crowds in Phoenix and the crowds in Atlanta and the crowds in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, like you name it. it they've just been terrific outside of that initial blip at the start where a few bozos were acting moronic. Um, yeah, like, you know, Trey Young being a villain doesn't really happen if there's no fans. Like, he's not shimmying. He's not, you know, doing that thing where he kind of shakes his, his shoulders to warm himself up. Um, we're not getting the crowd, the reaction that we got in game two of the Western Conference Finals with the Aiton dunk, which was like a historic NBA moment in real time. I think that if there's no fans there, it's just like, it's just weird and like confusing more so than like Mike Breen, who can't even hear what the refs are trying to say and it just being chaotic and awesome. So yeah, Chris, like what did, what did you think about what Andre had to say? No, no, no. Spot on. Um, you said, you know, I think I can speak for Chris here. You spoke for me with that 
100% in agreement, had not even really considered how certain moments in these playoffs would have been changed or not as cool or not as fun or not as memorable or, or annoying to different fan bases if not mm-hmm. for the fans being in the seats. Um, I mean, quite frankly, um, I think I'm probably going to wait. Hopefully I'm not making my bosses mad by saying this. I'll probably wait to go back to games in person until next year just since we've missed the whole season anyway. And to me, you know, I know they're letting reporters back in the, you know, in the media room and stuff like that to talk with coaches. To me, it's like I don't think there's that much of a value add just to do that. Um, I think I'll probably just wait till next year. But watching the games and hearing the roar of the crowd and, you know, seeing it, it makes me feel really far away from it. And I can't imagine what that does for fans that had season tickets, fans that, you know, go to one game a year and it's like it makes their year to be able to be there. Um, but hearing the crowds on television has been incredible. So I can only imagine what it's like to be part of the crowd, seeing, you know, even the Nick fans that didn't, you know, get to enjoy the run for very long, but just out in the streets as if they'd won a title for winning a game. And maybe that's more specific to their fan base and how rough it's been for the last 20 years. But there's something there that just you, you can sense how um, how cool it is. And I, I, I'll say I hope that people don't take it for granted. It, you know, when you have people spitting on folks, hopefully that's, you know, in the right. rearview mirror for good because um, you have some fans that aren't clearly taking it for granted. But the majority of them, you know, and I think there's something to be said for the fact that all these teams that had not been in the playoffs for so long or have not won a title in so long that it's like you almost can hear – how long it's been just in, in the, even on TV, not even being there in person, which you know is probably a hundred times crazier. Yeah, all great points. Um, thank you again, Andre, for that. And yeah, we wish you the best. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for, or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. All right. Chris, let's. I think we should transition now to actual playoff basketball. Um, enough Team USA so. talk. Enough lottery talk. Uh, the basketball is good. As you wrote, again, as I, I teased it at the top, you wrote this wonderful piece for SI.com about how even though there's no LeBron, even though there's no KD, even though there's no Anthony Davis, any other superstar you want to mention who's not available right now, other players, young players, are really asserting themselves on this stage in ways that are truly thrilling. And the games have been amazing. I mean, the com- you have stats in your piece about just the, uh, the comebacks and the historic nature of double-digit second-half comebacks that we're seeing. Um, it's... I mean, I I truly can't... You you talk about the unpredictability of it all, which is great. Like, the Hawks won game one last night. It's it's absolutely wild. We might get a Hawks-Suns finals. That's, like... That's a possibility. Um, So, shout-out to whoever had that stub in Vegas, because you're about to just, like, pay off your mortgage and become an ultra-billionaire or something like that. Um, But let's start with the uh, the Western Conference finals real quick, Chris. Um, You know... Awesome series so far. Uh, game two, as I, I just mentioned, with DeAndre, the DeAndre Ayton lob finish, I thought it was historic, really wow. exciting. Um, so my question to you is, are the Clippers finally dead, or do they have the Suns right where they want them right now? So I think at this point, I know better than to count them out. Uh, you know, I think the last two series have shown it's not smart to do that necessarily. I will say this feels a little bit different than those two, if only for the reason that um, the Suns should get somebody back pretty, you know, a meaningful player back pretty soon, which figures to make this even tougher for the Clippers. Um, I I don't think you can play with fire three times and expect to kind of not get burned, um, particularly when the other team is getting back a Hall of Famer. Uh, I also think too and I, you know I don't know how much to put on it just yet but that was a pretty backbreaking play that they lost on in game two um you know is, is there something to be said for the fact that this has been a weird postseason already they've already shown to be resilient by coming back from 2-0 twice sure um so I don't know what the carryover effect is for something like that 
I think it would probably be a little bit tougher if they weren't coming home for the next two games. But that, I mean, that, that was such kind of like a one-of-a-kind sort of finish to a game that I think it would be dismissive to say that it won't have any carryover impact. It might not, but we really don't know that um, just yet. I think it would probably be a lot worse if it had put them down 3-0 than 2-0. It would be a lot worse if they didn't have the experience of coming back from 2-0 twice. But, um, I mean, there was less than a second left in that game, and they literally lost on a lob. So... It, it, it could just be crushing to them. We don't know. Um, but the fact that Chris Paul's coming back makes me less likely to say that I think that they're likely to, you know, to pull off a 2-0 to win their next two to even the series the way they did the last two series. Yeah, you know, obviously Chris Paul coming back in game three, you would love to be tied right now. Um, you're As far as we know when we're recording – I don't think Kawhi Leonard has been officially ruled out for Game 3, but it just seems unlikely um, that that he'll be back. Um, you know, I, in watching Game 2, which was heartbreaking for the Clippers, obviously, I thought their defense was, like, spectacular, um, especially against Devin Booker. You know, they were top-locking him all night long, doing a really good job taking away those, those Spain stack whatever you want to call them, pick and rolls. Um, they were icing him in the pick and roll, not really letting him kind of waltz into those um, wide open mid-range pull-ups that he was just drilling in his sleep in game one. Which is hard to do. It's very hard to very contain hard. that. Yeah, Very hard. And so I saw on Twitter after the game, like there was some criticism about, you know, Patrick Beverly. Um, just because Patrick Beverly was just being peak Patrick Beverly in that game. Like he basically like broke Devin Booker's nose with a headbutt accidentally, but and then you know, went like this, like as if he didn't know what he'd done. It yeah. Crazy. So, so, crazy. Uh, so, I mean, shout out to Patrick Beverly, just a total animal. Um, but I thought Patrick Beverly's defense was incredible, like incredible um, in the 26 minutes he played. And he can't play more than that because he just fouls a lot, which that's what it is. But the way he kind of shifted what Phoenix was trying to do, I thought was was great. And it was a really smart move by Ty Lue to start him. Um, I actually interviewed Terrence Mann yesterday for a Q&A that just went up on the site a few minutes ago, I think. Um, and I asked him about Ty Lue's, you know, his unpredictable rotations throughout the postseason, where one game he'll start... Um, Nick Batum at the five. The next game he starts Zubats at the five. He's playing Boogie Cousins in the rotation. And then all of a sudden, Boogie's out of the rotation. Um, and, and Terrence Mann would know something about that. Yeah, he played nine total minutes in the first two games of the second round against the Jazz. And then he obviously has the 39-point explosion Jeez. Um, in game six. And I asked him, I was like, hey, like, how hard is it to do this? And he's had a really interesting answer. He told me that Tyloo calls him the night before to let him the night before games to let him know what to expect in the next game like are you going to start are you going to play or where like expect to play 30 plus expect to play 15 um expect to come off the bench which i thought was like i don't know how many coaches do that or if any coaches do that chris maybe you I, I have the answer there i've never heard of someone doing that to be frank at this level it's really rare um I, I don't know. I don't want to 
make it sound like a plug. The, the next book that I'm working on that'll come out soon enough. Um, I know when you're talking about like lineup changes, full scale lineup changes, where I'm going to start you. Sometimes you do it a night before, day before. Most times you do it in shoot around. You don't. Yeah. It's normally not like a 24 hour notice call out of work, call into work, changing your role at work sort of thing. But yeah, that sounds a little bit unusual to me. Um, I don't, and it's funny because like it's enough time to get mentally prepared for it, but you, you can't fundamentally change anything with that much time either. So like it, you know, everybody's different. It, it makes you wonder how much it matters. Maybe you don't want to tell someone eight minutes before, but you know, yeah. I don't know what fundamental difference it makes. It's just interesting to hear yeah. that he does it that way. Exactly. It was, I think that was my read too. And, and uh, to Terrence, it was very helpful um, to kind of know and to not be in the dark about what his role was um, on the team, which everyone wants to know what their role is at this point in the season for sure. Um, so I guess like what I'm, I, I bring that up just to say that one of the reasons I'm still bullish on the Clippers is like they still, even without Kawhi, they can still go small and, you know, Zubats played 34 minutes, I think, in game two, which is like by far the most he's played in a game in these playoffs. And that's because DeAndre Ayton is just an absolute bear on the glass. Um, but I think offensively um, and a little bit defensively, too. I mean, Nick Batum didn't really play that much in game two relative to his what his role has been either. And you can, you know, gang rebound. You can, um, you know, on the very last play of the game, Terrence Mann... It was like a 50-50 ball when Mikael Bridges missed that corner three and it went out of bounds and they eventually gave it to the Suns and the Suns won on the law. But, like, he was boxing out hard and DeAndre Ayton did not corral the rebound. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I think it's a grind to play that way for sure. But I also think it's kind of like the Clippers' trump card here. And if you get the threes going, as we saw in Game 6 um, against the Utah Jazz, as you know, Terrence Mann goes for 39... And just like hits every corner three, then all of a sudden the other team is like, okay, do we have to downsize now? Do we have to downsize so we can switch? Like he's exposing our big, and that's the NBA today. So I think that the Clippers are built to play small, even without Kawhi, more than any other team, including, um, including the Phoenix Suns. And so I, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more of those small lineups going forward. I could obviously be wrong. Ty Lue knows way more about basketball than I ever will. But they seem to have had success with those small groups. And they, we haven't really seen them as much as I think we will going forward in the series. So that's – and then you throw in, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, who could play tonight. He could play in game four. He could play in game five, et cetera. So, I, I, I kind of – I mean, I kind of just feel like no one wants to say he, he can't. You know, like – but it's, it, it almost seems like more of a – a formality than anything. Like I don't, mm. if, if he were about to come back or it was possible and it was something in the offing, I right. kind of feel like we would hear it. Uh, the fact that we're not hearing anything and the way that Ty Lue addresses the question makes it seem like it's not something that's even like on the periphery. Like maybe we're wrong. Um, but, and also the nature of the injury, like it, it's very understandable that it could be something that would keep him out. So it's interesting though. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to move on from this point just yet. Do you think it would essentially take playing Aiton off the floor for the Clippers to be able to kind of jump all the way back into the series? I mean, that's kind of the point that Utah should have gotten to by the end of it is to where, you know, they would have had to take Gobert off the floor. Um, it's interesting just to think about what that would even look like or how badly you'd really have to skewer the, the Suns. 
to do that, just given that Aiton is pretty good defensively, obviously, but also like all he does, the difference with Gobert is he's not giving you enough scoring wise. Um, Aiton gives you a ton on offense and, and as an offensive rebounder. So, you know, yeah, if they're to a point where they're just raining threes from everywhere, it would be interesting to see how that changes Phoenix's mindset with Aiton and, and what they even do. Or, you know, is he the clear problem with why that would be happening? Is it that, you know, that he can't get out and contest? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a little bit in the second half of game one where they were putting him in high pick and roll and he was dropping. And it kind of clicked in my head that Aiton hasn't really had to guard like elite pick and roll ball handlers in the first two rounds. I mean, the Lakers, yeah. there's obviously like LeBron, LeBron. I mean, it's just like it, it, they don't have it. Like Dennis Schroeder is just, you know, he's not my personal cup of tea. Um, the Denver Nuggets were, they just don't have the guard play. It's just not how they play basketball, really. Um right. And without Jamal Murray. And then you go into this series and Reggie Jackson is just hot lava hitting everything. And you have Paul George, who's was one of the best pull-up three-point shooters um, um, in the league this season. So I thought that they were trying to exploit that a little bit in the, in the second half of game one. Um, I mean, I don't think they'll ever bench Aiton because he's so important and he gets buckets like we the thing about the difference between him and gobert is like like ayton as first of all as a lob threat i think he's even more potent just because he's more athletic and there was one he caught from jay crowder that was just like insane (laughs) where did he come from how did he catch that that was an insane i thought that was a turnover for sure um yeah and he it was at the top of the it was at the top of the square that he caught it i mean so it had to have been a good 12, 12 and a half feet. Yeah, and also he's having this historic run of efficiency, and he's hitting jump shots, and he doesn't really post up anymore, but when he does, he finishes. So Aiton's just been, like, a total monster. Um, so I do not see them playing off the floor. And Dario Saric has played pretty well in this series, and I say that, you know, respect to him, but, like, Aiton is a difference maker. I don't think they're going to play him off. I think you just got to hit the threes. And I have confidence in the Clippers to hit those threes, that they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in NBA history. Um, anything else on this series, Chris? Do you, do you have, like, do you feel like, I guess, like, if you had to make a prediction at this point forward, are you just saying, is it kind of a foregone conclusion to you that the Suns are going to go to the finals? I've, I've said this for the last round or two, and um, I don't know. You know, and I, I think when we podcasted either last week or the week before, I was saying, I was like, I don't really even know exactly what it is, but matchup-wise, I just feel really good about Phoenix, and I continue to feel that way. Obviously, mm-hmm. like they haven't done anything to disprove that. They've continued to win without Chris Paul. So I – no, I mean – I. Would I be stunned if the Clippers won, you know, based on what we've seen the last couple rounds? Probably not stunned, but uh, I'd be a little bit surprised. I I just really think Phoenix just looks like they're ready to do this. And, um, you know, winning the close games certainly helps. It's a crazy thing to say. It's a crazy thing to watch without Chris Paul being able to help help them close things out. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that he has to do it on his own. Devin Booker's capable, but to just watch them do it and to watch Cameron Payne go off for basically 30 there's just a whole lot of like bizarro world stuff this whole season has kind of felt that way in a lot of ways for the suns uh but they're complete and i mean it's it's very clear that it's real it has been for the whole year 
they've looked the part in the playoffs. They've you know, and they've come through and matter. You know, even when they've got point nine seconds, they're coming through. So. I, I just kind of feel like this is their thing to lose. And, um, you know, the Clippers can obviously get hot and change that. But um, I, I don't even think it requires that much explanation that you continue to feel good about the Suns when they've got Chris Paul coming back. It's, it's just It just kind of seems like this is theirs to lose. Yeah, and real quick before we move on to the Eastern Conference Finals, like if they did have to play Aiden off the floor, it's like, okay, so CP, Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder – and Cam Johnson. Like, that's what is wrong with that lineup. I mean, Cam has been, like, the thing about championship teams, in my opinion, when you, like, when you see a team that has a guy like him who's five for five, like, Devin Booker's really, it's just not, it's just not Devin Booker's night, right? Cam just is attacking the offensive glass. He's getting putbacks. He's making really great cuts. He's making every single shot that he takes, literally. Um, he's obviously a spacer. He's defending capably. When you have players like that who just slide into a game and they're so confident when they probably... Like, I'm, I'm stunned that he is playing. He played that confident in that spot. Um, maybe I shouldn't be. But when you have players like that, like that's, that's literally the definition of a championship team. Like it's just not it's not all superstars. It's these guys who come in and they play fantastically at the right time. So shout out to him. Um, shout out to the Suns. I'm still stubbornly uh, clinging to my Clippers in six pick because I don't know any better, Chris. I just don't know any better, um, and I freely admit that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The Shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, 
in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. Um, okay, let's move on to the uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Last night, the Atlanta Hawks uh, stunned the world, maybe, um, in defeating the Milwaukee Bucks at home. Uh, you know, let's kick off this conversation with an easy question, Chris. Do the Hawks actually have a chance to win this series? Yeah. Oh, hands down. I mean, if they lost yesterday by the margin that they won by, I would say they still have a chance this series. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Milwaukee is, I mean, there's a couple of things. They're built around Giannis, who Giannis is consistently going to get you a certain amount of points, but you don't know how and when and where they're going to come. So basically by that, I mean, like, we're not sure what sort of performance he's going to have in a fourth quarter. Now, to his credit, between Game 7 and certainly Game 1 of this series, he was really the only thing they had going at the end of the game yesterday. But depending on how you defend him and depending on whether he gets shy, depending on whether he is nervous or all of a sudden if he starts looking like John Stockton at the line with regards to how well he's shooting, which randomly happens from time to time, um... You don't know what you're going to get from that standpoint. And lately, you haven't known what you're going to get from Holiday or from Middleton, which is the bigger problem. Um, Middleton struggled. Holiday gave a great performance. And it still wasn't enough. Um, so I'm, I'm already kind of worried just from that standpoint because you've now had a couple of really key games in a row. I mean, I guess every playoff game is critical, but where you've gotten kind of really uneven performances from the two of them. Um, and I feel like just based on the way we've talked about Giannis for the last couple of weeks, you would think that Giannis was the one that was terribly inconsistent when it's actually been the co-stars. So, I mean, I if Atlanta can score on Milwaukee, which clearly they can, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Atlanta can get this done. I think their defense is decent enough and good enough to present just enough problems for everybody else. Um, the shots that Middleton relies on are difficult shots to begin with. And so if, if he's not hitting at the clip that he normally does and Holiday can be up and down, even if Giannis is consistent, you know, Atlanta's good enough to beat, is clearly good enough to beat Milwaukee where two of their three guys play really well. So I, I to me, yesterday is a little bit concerning if I'm Milwaukee because you had two of your three guys play well and you still lost at home. Um, so I don't know. I, I, Trey's not going to go for 48 most nights. I think we know that. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, I I don't know. Like I, at some point, you hope Bogdanovich, whether it's injury or anything else, that he plays a little bit better. You know, Collins was great. I just, to me, it doesn't look like some massive talent disparity. And I think that's kind of what we've looked at for the last couple rounds now. Uh, well, not last couple rounds, but Philly, there were times where it didn't look like this massive talent disparity. And I think that's kind of the same look of last night 
is that there, there wasn't this massive talent gap there. Um, and uh, quite frankly, I, I think your own Weitzman right, might have written this for Fox. Uh, Trey looks like he is either the best player on the court at times or is tied with Giannis. And when that's the case, I mean, they're going to find themselves in these games. They're playing tight games well. I think they're 6-2 and two, um, when it's five points or less. Games are decided mm-hmm. by five points or less in the playoffs. They, I mean, they, Atlanta could win the series, and I don't even think it's a stretch that they can win the series. Like they very clearly can win the series. No, I mean, those. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said, Chris. I think that you know, I picked the Hawks um, in seven, and if I'm being 100 percent honest, it was less about like strategy and you know getting into the matchups, and just more about Atlanta's depth and who was coming off the bench there and. I looked at I look at Milwaukee and it's kind of weird to to say this but the fact that you know the way these playoffs have gone in terms of injuries and health and guys grinding through really arduous series like it wouldn't surprise me if like PJ Tucker just like tore his labrum or something like that you know what I mean like and it's it's really messed up to make a pick based on the anticipation of injury but these playoffs are really weird, and the Bucks are so thin that they have to play their their best players such big minutes, and they are not used to playing these big minutes. They that's like that one of their calling cards throughout the regular season is just like, I mean, they, the, if you look at like the starter data, um, the Bucks starting five played I think like twenty eight, like ranked twenty eighth in frequency or something like that compared to other starting lineups throughout the regular season. Like this is not it's just not they were they were like coasting through the regular season to get to the postseason and you would think that that would mean they're well rested but like you know these guys are old um the playoffs are really hard etc etc so that was kind of like the fundamental reason why i picked atlanta and you add to the fact that the bucks had to beat the nets in a series that we talked about before it started was that the nba finals it might have been the NBA Finals. We'll see what happens. Um, but to to defeat the the Nets um, and conquer them in a way that they did in seven games, just like an all out war, and then to emerge from that and be like, oh, we have to climb up two more mountains. Like imagine like climbing Mount Everest and then there being like there's that Simpsons episode where he climbs a mountain, where Homer climbs the mountain, and then. Uh, looks up and there's like two more. He has not reached the summit yet. Um, and that's just like how I feel mentally the Milwaukee Bucks are right now. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I just think it's like really difficult um, what their, their path and what they have to do. Um, but like fundamentally, I look at like the strategy in the fourth quarter and who was on the court for the Bucks, And it's like, Bud is just like, you know, they played small. Um, it was like the first time, I mean, Brooke Lopez only played 20 minutes, which is his fewest minutes in the playoffs, like by a significant margin in a non-blowout contest. Didn't play the fourth quarter, didn't play the, the back half of the third quarter, was minus 14. And the Bucks had some success switching when they went small with Giannis at the five. I don't know if that's something they can lean into for an entire ball game because right. they just aren't, they aren't built for it. And so... You know, they're playing Pat Connaughton, who missed that humongous three, airballed that humongous three at the end. Um, they're forced to play him. They're playing Bryn Forbes, who can get attacked defensively still just by Trey, even if you're trying to switch. Um, it's 
there's just so many questions with the Bucks, and I, I have all the respect in the world for Giannis. I have all the respect for for Middleton, who was 0 for nine from the behind the three point line, and Drew, who shook out of a, a sl- shooting slump, and he was due for a game like this. But I don't, to be honest, I don't anticipate him playing like like that well again in this series, no. uh, just offensively. So yeah, I mean, like for me, I'm just like, uh, yeah, Atlanta can for sure win this win this series, and that is so wild to think about and say out loud. Yeah, Milwaukee. There's a whole lot of stuff. Like, I mean, part of me wishes that I could just talk to Budenholzer, like one on one, and as his therapist. Like, look, 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 man. <laughs> like between you and me, like, why are you doing this? Like, just tell me. I won't tell anybody. Just why? Like, help, help me, help, help you, <laughs> help me, help me understand. Like the minutes thing in previous postseasons. We, I mean, we've seen him, and it's almost like he's got. You know, sometimes when you're like on a medical situation and it's like they're putting you on a minutes limitation, but mm-hmm. he would treat those minutes limitations like there was like a medical reason that he's not putting Giannis back out there where he would play Giannis for 45 seconds then bench him for 30 seconds and put him like, like every other play would sub him out. Like he had to keep him on a minutes limit and then they would lose by like a possession or two. And it's like, that might've been a really meaningful possession that he sat out. Um, and I kept saying, like, that's such an unusual use of the sub for Giannis where he's got to be doing it because he they have to have some sort of internal data that tells him he has to do that, that, that it's yep. more meaningful or more useful to do that. And so there's a lot of stuff where he does things like that. And looking at them, first of all, you know, so he he's doing it a little bit differently now. But like like you said, guys are winded. Like you look at Giannis and they'll, I feel like for whatever reason, they've gone to him several times camera wise this postseason. And he, you just see him doing this. Like he's hunching his shoulder so much. He's just heaving almost just struggling to breathe from how hard he's playing, which I think that speaks to what you're saying about the risk of injury and different things and how maybe you don't want to price that into your decision and your thoughts. But like you, you can see how tired they get. And that's something I think about, like, all these things, like, why don't they do this? Why doesn't Giannis cover KD? Partly just because they don't do that during the regular season, and so then it's a real shift to make them do it now with who he's guarding and not being a help guy and being a, a primary guy, the minutes that they're playing. It's kind of like taking a fish out of water. So it it is different now. Um, I don't know what to expect, but... The one thing that, you know, and I don't know how easy this is to change either based on what they do in the regular season. Bud continuing to let Lopez drop back as far as he is. Like, are you going to just play him 20 minutes for the rest of the series? Are you going to tell Brooke that we can't drop you that far? And if you do that, like, does Brooke know how to play it in a way where you're still not getting torched or you're not giving up something else? Not against Trey. Not against Trey. Right. And so it's easy to say just change it. And they probably will to some degree or they'll just stop playing Brooke as much but like you you know it doesn't mean that it's going to you know I I use this phrase a lot in my writing I've used it on the podcast like robbing Peter to pay Paul to some extent like you could have him play further up but that doesn't mean that Trey's not going to beat him to the basket or find somebody to throw a lob to whether it's Capella or anybody else so I don't know like it's not Milwaukee was heavily favored and I understand why but if you understand the X's and O's of this series, as I know you do, and obviously through your pick, I understand why you made the pick. It's it's not an easy series for Milwaukee at all. Like it, I I never would have understood a pick that would have had Milwaukee in a sweep, which some people had, or Milwaukee in five, because there's not that big of a disparity talent wise, in my opinion. 
And X's nose wise, like it's very easy to see how someone would actually give Atlanta the edge just because a lot of the stuff that Milwaukee wants to do or is most comfortable doing Atlanta pushes them out of that comfort zone. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that we haven't really talked about too much with regards to defending Trey versus how teams defended him in the past, you know, before I'm talking about before this season when, you know, he has um, Bogdan, he has Gallo, he has, you know, John Collins being this respected three-point shooter relatively, um, is you can't blitz Trey Young. And no one's even trying. And he was blitzed more than any other pick-and-roll ball handler in the league last season. And that's just, like, not an option anymore. So you, you kind of, like, have to drop and just hope. Like, you got to drop, take away the roll man, and hope he misses the floater. And it's like... He's not missing the floater, okay? Like, this is, we're in the conference finals because he's making floaters. So, what do you do? And a bunch of bad options. It's a bunch of bad options. And I mean, I said it earlier, but like, they switched a little bit. That was, you look at some of the data there, it's, it was good, it was positive. Um, you just watched the, the tape, and Trey struggled. Trey rushed some threes, um, trying to get him over Giannis late, especially. But, can you do that for a whole game? Can you do that? Like, wh- what is your small lineup there? Um, who's on the court, especially in crunch time? Because I think these games are going to be very competitive, too. I don't think there's going to be, uh, like, significant blowouts. I don't think you can blow out the Hawks, frankly. Like, I'm sure I'm, like, blanking on a game that they actually lost. Uh, I think game three of the second round they lost pretty big. But, like, they're tough to blow out, man, because, like, they have shooters, and they don't give up, and they play with extreme confidence. Like everyone, look at John Collins in the post game interview with uh, inside the NBA guys. Like they're super I happy love that to be interview. here. It was incredible. Um, this team is like I, I talked earlier about how the Bucks are like, man, we have to climb another mountain. And if you're like, I, I think if you're the Hawks, you're like, you cl- just climbed a mountain and you have amnesia, and you don't even realize that you got to climb another one. And this this analogy is absolutely terrible, but it is. <laughs> I love it. I understand where it's going though, so it's not it's not bad. But it, I understood it well enough, so it did its yes. job. I understood where it was. Thank going. you, thank you. But yeah, it's just like it's just like I don't want to say they're happy to be here because I don't think they are. Um, but. They just play with it. They're like playing off adrenaline. Like they shouldn't be here. And they are. It's just awesome to watch this team. I don't really know what else there is to say about it. And for them to have won that game with Bogdan, clearly not even close to who he is. Um, and Nate McMillan is still staggering lineups to have him be the, the offensive focal point when Trey's off the floor, which I think they got to switch up. I tweeted last night. I think you guys switch that up and have Kevin Herter be the guy. Um, when you stagger those units, because right. Kevin Herter is proven to be a guy who can create his own shot off those DHOs. Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I don't really know what else there is to say about it. It was a really fun game. Um, Trey Young is, I don't like when this when these playoffs are over. Is he going to be like a top? What is he like a top twelve player? Like what? Like I don't I don't know. He's one of the best offensive players for sure. Um, and to I do it in the playoffs. Where... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's just like to do it in the playoffs against these defenses. I mean, the Knicks, the 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 Six. Like these are great defenses, and he's torching them. Um, yeah, you know. So I don't really know else, what what else there is to say about it. Yeah, just to your one point, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you before. Um, I don't know what this is going to do for kind of like the scales next season. Just because, even as I was writing my story that ran today as the Daily Cover. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Devin Booker ranks 12th in scoring in the among the playoff guys. 
And I'm like, how does he's averaging 28 a game, which scoring is up. And it's like that in the regular season, too. So I understand that. But it's crazy because like there are other guys that score better than these two. But when you look at the full package of what they can do, obviously, Devin Booker's game one in this series, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously, Trey's game last night, the fact that he's a top two, three guy in assists every year now. Um, along with the fact that he drops 25 a game, basically threw a 50-piece at the Bucks yesterday. Um, and the way that we perceived them when all of a sudden, before you might have knocked Booker as a empty stats guy, oh, he scored 70, but he was you know doing this, doing that in a losing effort. But how do you perceive it differently or how much differently do you perceive it when they're going to the finals, if that's the case? you know, And, and what does that do for the rankings? I, we'll open the can of worms for another time because I know we're out of time at this point. But like the conversation that we've long had about Luca, you know, and Trey, and the idea of you know how big a mistake did Atlanta make if they even made one, um, you know, and and I've written a story on that and know the backstory of why they went the direction they did. Even if Luca was perceived to potentially be a better player, I understand why they got Trey and the the, the reasons for their market and how it might have been relevant to their market in Atlanta and their fan base. But that would be something like you couldn't have paid me to believe a year ago, five months ago, four months ago, that Trey could potentially win a title before Luca gets out of the first round. Like you could not have paid right. me to believe that. Um, but some very interesting things to think about. I don't know where it puts them in the conversation for next year, but. As I said in my piece, like these guys are here, and it is so fun to watch. And it's just, uh, you know, the, the the league has not lacked any intrigue, any interest at all uh, from from real basketball fans, diehard basketball fans, with these guys at the forefront. It's been fantastic. Yeah. So, one hundred percent, Chris. That's our show for today. Uh, before we go and before we sign off, I want to just reiterate: please go read Chris's piece on SI.com about Devin Booker, about Trey Young, about the young stars up and coming and why these playoffs are amazing because these playoffs, guess what? Spoiler alert, they are amazing. Please watch them. They're, they're great. Um, I did. I, I mentioned it on the episode. I did a, a, a quick Q&A slash. It was actually very long with Terrence Mann. <laughs> um, uh, probably a little longer than it should have been, but I had a fun time talking to him. He's, he's a character, and we both love Rajon Rondo, so we, we bonded over that. Um, but uh, Chris and I will be back next week, next Thursday. Rohan and I will be back on Monday. Um, please send the keep sending the emails in. Um, they've been terrific. Uh, to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, until next time, you know, everyone stay safe uh, and everyone continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.